0: Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the North Carolina Study Center podcast. My name is Matt Hain, and I serve on staff with the Study Center. And you're tuning in right now as part of a broader series that we're doing on the abolition of man, which is a classic book by C.S. Lewis, probably familiar to many of you, uh, published in 1943. We're hosting a few reading groups on it this summer. So if today's podcast piques an interest and you haven't joined yet, you're welcome to. And you can find more information on our website or reach out to me, and I'd be glad to share it with you. I want to begin today with a question, Uh, and that question is this, what is a human being? What is a human being? Now, this might seem like a simple question on the surface. Uh, We could all stammer out a response, I'm sure, if I gave you a couple moments to this question. Uh, But I'm getting at something a little more specific here. Um, Not just could we offer a response to the question of some sort, but what is it, can we identify what it is that makes a human being a human being? Um, Surely a human being is many things, I'll give you that, but if you had to boil it down, what is the essence of a human being? When you ask the question that way, it turns out uh, to be much more complex than it seems on the surface. And it's not only complex, it's also an extremely contested question. Uh, especially in a contemporary university setting such as UNC, the place that I uh, live and work and operate today. If you took this question and you posed it to five different academic departments at UNC, you'll receive five different answers at least, or five different functional answers uh, as to what makes a human being a human being. In economics, uh, a human being is a rational agent in pursuit of self-beneficial optimal outcomes, uh, we're, we're optimizers, we're rational, we're maximizers, uh, we maximize outputs. This is the view of economics. If you took this question to the biology department, you'd get a very different answer. There, the human being is approached as a multicellular eukaryote consisting of an estimated 100 trillion cells. You could go further and say belonging to the taxonomy of primates and so on and so forth. Um, it could get very specific, but very different notice between biology and economics. You take this question then over to the philosophy department, and there the human being is the thinking animal. Uh, We are the creature with unique capacity of self-reflexive thought. Well, in Abolition of Man, uh, Lewis gives us his own response to this question. and He not only gives us uh, an answer, but he gives us a three-part anthropology of the human person. In doing so, he's certainly influenced by scripture, but also by classical philosophy, uh, particularly Plato, whom he cites in this section of Abolition of Man. According to Lewis, the three parts that make up the human person are the head, the belly, and the chest. And we're going to walk through each one today. The head is probably familiar to many of us. This is the rational aspect of our our nature in Lewis's construal. Uh, This is something that Lewis says we share in common with the angels. So although angels are not embodied as we are, they still have intellectual perception. Uh, They can contemplate truth. And so this is something, uh, the rational side of our nature, that we, that we share in common with the angels. The second component is the belly. This is the realm of uh, appetites and in the instinctual aspect of our nature. Um, whereas the head is something we share in common with angels, Lewis says the belly is something that we share in common with other animals, the drives and desires and instincts that we feel. The third component, and this is the crucial one, so tune in, the third component of human nature that Lewis lays out is the chest. And the chest, just as uh, physically the chest resides between the head and the belly, so in Lewis's construal, the chest is the integrating component between the rational mind and the bodily desires of the belly. Lewis writes in Abolition of Man that the head rules the belly through the chest. And the chest, he fleshes out uh, in defining it as the seat of emotions organized by trained habit into stable sentiments. In layman's terms, the chest is the area of virtue. It's the area of character and character formation. It's the area where habits are displayed and expressed and manifested, um, and our our character is on display for others to see. So take, for example, uh, marriage here. I hope this illustrates this uh, a little bit. Um, in marriage, we have innate desires, uh, the, the realm of the belly. These are things like the desire for companionship and love, for friendship, for partnership. We also, there's a, there's a mental or a rational side to marriage. We can reflect on the nature of marriage and the responsibilities it entails. We can contemplate it. We can uh, imagine it. But it's only in the third area, the area of the chest, where we can actually carry out the duties of marriage. It's the chest, the heart, the heart. Uh, where you actually display your character and your virtues. Um, So things like love, fidelity, uh, actually living out companionship, all of these things are expressed by the chest, being governed and reinforced by the rational mind, and governing or controlling the innate desires of the belly. I hope that illustrates a little bit how Lewis's three-part account works here. Now, the context within which Lewis invokes this three part distinction of the human being is in a broader discussion of education. Maybe surprising, but the context here is education. And for Lewis, all education is ultimately about the formation of the human person. Crucially, education is not primarily about the transmission of information, nor is it about acquiring a skill set for a future job. Those things have a place. But for Lewis, education, the overarching uh, telos or purpose of it is formation of the human person. Who are you becoming through the education you're receiving? Uh, For Lewis, the fear that he is writing about in Abolition of Man is that in his day, he thought the educational system was producing men without chests. That's a famous quote from Abolition of Man, and it's also the title of chapter one. So think again here about Lewis's three-part account of the human being. Um, In Lewis's account, the educational system of his day is producing men with heads, men men with heads, men with heads and men with bellies, but not with chests. Um, So people who have intelligent minds or developed minds, uh, knowledge, uh, intelligence, they have lots of base desires and feelings and instincts, the realm of the belly, these areas that are always there with human nature. Um, but what's in short supply is virtue, character, uh, mature, holistically integrated human beings. Lewis saw this as a great failure of the educational system, that it could train the mind, and it might it might train you to at least uh, govern the base desires that you have, but it did not make men who had mature character uh, or developed virtues. Well, does Lewis's critique, uh, let me ask you a question here, does it strike you as true of our age as well? I'll share from my own briefly that uh, working with college students at UNC, the answer is yes. Uh, Lewis's diagnosis, his cultural critique from his day in 1943, rings as true for our own today as it did uh, then 75 years ago. Uh, Today, UNC students, and I know we have several student listeners here, but students are incredibly bright. Uh, They have developed minds. Human nature hasn't changed, so all the instincts and feelings and desires of the belly are still there. Um, But what's often lacking or the challenge that so many students I walk alongside face is development of the virtues and the character uh, that integrates the head and the belly and makes for whole persons. Increasingly, uh, colleges and other schools are punting on the responsibility to develop the chest. Um, This is considered a contested area. You know, what virtue should we teach? What kind of character do we want to develop? And so largely universities and schools have abdicated this domain, except for a few very, very basic uh, principles that most people agree on. Because of this, the role of churches and ministries and civic organizations and homes, especially for all of you listening with your family today, um, those, the home is a crucial, crucial place, along with churches and ministries and other civic organizations, where we need to be in the business of developing chests teaching our children in the next generation to be whole people, whole persons, um, to be integrated. And this really captures the essence of the study center's vision and purpose for existing. Um, We walk alongside students in trying to equip them to become holistic, integrated human beings capable of leading a coherent, balanced lives going forward. Uh, We don't just want to see sharp minds amongst Christian students, nor just kind of control of the base desires We want to see developed chests. We want to see the formation of the whole student uh, in everything that they do. Paul has a shorthand way of capturing this, uh, as the Bible always does in better terms, and that's maturity in Christ. We know that Christ is Lord uh, overall. He rules everything, not just our minds and not just our bellies, uh, but our chest as well. He rules all areas of our life, and he wants to see us follow him uh, with everything that we have in our being. I hope this has given you something to chew on this week. Um, I'd be curious to hear from any of you who want to give feedback on what you think about Lewis's three-part distinction. And uh, if you're free next Monday, feel free to tune in and join us for the reading group. Thanks for listening today. Uh, Have a wonderful day. And until next time.